0: I'm Mick Cronin and this is What's Your Cause, a podcast in which I interview a variety of guests about a cause that is close to them, something they feel passionate about. I want to start a conversation that educate, inspire, and shine a light on causes around the globe that can or are having a significant social impact. But here's the kicker: each guest will nominate the next and become a chain that will lead from my very first guest to my last and ultimate guest of season one, Barack Obama. Got your attention? Ta might. So I'm excited to introduce My first guest, Bianca Chatfield. Bianca made her debut as an 18-year-old for the Australian Diamonds netball team. She quickly established a name for herself as one of the fiercest defenders and pairing leaders. During her time on the netball court, Bianca endured some tough times but also enjoyed some great success winning both gold and silver medals in the Commonwealth Games, a world championship along a host of premierships, with the Melbourne Vixens. Bianca currently focuses her time now in media and leadership space, talking about the power of being an optimist, challenging a performance mindset and exploring ways to get the best out of yourself. In 2016, Bianca co wrote her first book, Every Girl Needs a Plan, currently runs her own netball academy through Victoria University and has created an online mentoring program for women and girls. But you'll probably most see Bianca um, as a media commentator on Fox Sports. So, Bianca, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me, Mick. I'm so excited to be the number one guest. Although I don't think I'm the number one guest; I'm the first guest. The number one guest will be when you get to Barack Obama. Is that right?
0: <laughs> that that could be right. But I would like you to think as you are the number one guest. Okay. I want every guest to think to a number one guest. But <laughs> well, we'll start with that. But yes, you are the very, very first guest. So I have to thank you for actually um, agreeing to do this. I'm not sure you know what you get yourself into, <laughs> but um, I really, really want to thank you for uh, for being the first guest. And there's no pressure, but if this does not get to a second guest, then it is your fault.
1: Then it's on me. Okay, <laughs> well, you know what? Lucky I like pressure, hey? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, it is. So um, we'll get into it a little bit later about how we're going to get to Barack Obama, and mm-hmm. we're going to get there, Bianca. Yep, and, and you're going to play. It. you're going to play a massive part in it. But really, the podcast is about what's important to people, sharing their passions and maybe um, hearing a different side. Um, and I'm sure you've been in lots of interviews and you've been asked lots of things and it comes about um, either your TV, media or, you know, your whole career that you had as a sports person. But we want to talk about something a little bit different. So, Bianca, what's your cause?
1: My cause and I think what I'm passionate about uh, in a way that is not necessarily always a structured you know support of a cause but just i channel so much of my work into this space and and that is supporting women and girls empowering women and girls to be the very best version of themselves and i've figured that out probably along the way as an athlete and as a teacher and things that i have learned and seen i guess that are missing um and just how, how easily females... And I say females only because that's what I know, obviously, being a female myself. Um, but seeing this, how quickly you can lose confidence in yourself and how quickly you can um, change direction. You, you lose track of what your dreams might be or what you, where you really want to go or goals that you might have simply because you lose that belief. And it can be from a number of different things that might happen in your life... And I just am always truly of the belief that I've learned myself, that if you can learn to lead and manage yourself and support yourself and believe in yourself, that it might not be that big picture dream that you had. You might not get there, but you might get somewhere better. And But you have to have that belief first. So um, any chance I get, I like to work in the space um, with women and girls and and just being a simply and probably firstly a place of support and encouragement and you know anywhere that I can add value and probably add some whether it's education into these people's lives um, and to try and share some of what I've been through um, to yeah help and support young girls um, especially on their way to whatever it is they want to do and it doesn't have to be sport related it can be anything but yeah I just feel like there's this real crucial time in a girl's life where they might Struggle to find that belief in themselves,
0: and if we step back, so we'll get into what you do, what you, what, what some of the stuff that you do in that space. But if you step back and you think of, you know, a young Bianca, um, and you know, going from maybe primary school to secondary school at that kind of time, um, did you have that self belief and confidence, um, and did you know what you wanted to do or kind of where you wanted to go then?
1: No, I had no idea. I was your typical uh, younger sister. So I've got two sisters, one's older, one's younger. So I'm right in the middle. And of course, <laughs> you probably, as you know me, you probably know that that middle child syndrome. I certainly had that. But I had an older sister who was a high achiever. So she, w- my parents were very much go and play sport. You need to play sport, um, get outside, just be active. It wasn't about being elite athletes. They weren't, you know, like, you know, the crazy tennis parents <laughs> pushing us into sport but I watched my older sister do really well. She loved netball and I played more basketball, but I watched her set herself a goal and then she would work really hard to achieve it. And I almost used to kind of muck around and joke that, you know, you don't have to work that hard or, you know, just <laughs> I would just always mock her for what she would do as any obviously simply can do um and from that though I, I started to see she created a pathway for me to watch and you know that saying you can't be what you can't see I could see her doing it in front of me and then I could start to really it would trigger things in my mind of right how I needed to work and how hard I the effort I had to put in to get there so you know if I go way back when I was a, a kid at school I'm six foot two so I'm 188 centimeters I'm A very tall girl, and I have two tall parents, so I had no choice in the matter. And my older sister is tall, not as tall as me, but I always remember being at school and I did not want to stand out in the crowd. I would go and I would have terrible posture because I wanted to be like all my little short friends, and I couldn't swap clothes with them because I was bigger sizes. And I was just really insecure in who I actually was, and I didn't want to own my height at all. I almost wanted to fade away into the background. And so I think, and I probably, it took me until I was actually playing elite sport to realise why I started playing sport. As soon as I started playing netball with my friends, one, my sister was doing quite well, so I saw how much enjoyment she would get. So I was like, all right, I'll go and play too, like netball, how boring, I'd rather play basketball, but I'll have a go. And so as soon as I started playing, it, it was the one time in my whole week on a Saturday morning that I actually felt confident in who I was because, no surprises, but being tall on a team sport like netball, being on the court, your height is such an asset. All of a sudden everyone is, you know, oh, you better play goal shooter because, you know, we need you down that end or you better play defence because we need you down that end because you, you play an important role because you have height over everybody else. And so for me, I didn't understand... The power of sport and what it taught me, but it was the one thing and the one time of my whole week where I felt confident about being tall. And then as soon as I went back to school, I'd go back to this kind of shrinking, shrinking down to be like everyone else and not wanting to be in photos where I was, you know, always heads above everybody and taller than all the guys. And I just, yeah, I was always really worried about it um, to the point where I remember having conversations with mum and my sisters at home about. Oh, if, if you, you know, going to like a school formal or something, oh, you can't wear heels, you can't be too tall. And and now I look back at that and I'm like, that was so crazy that we would think like that, that you couldn't be, you know, wear heels like most people do when they go out and about and all those little things that really add up to this insecurity um, that I had. And, but sport really showed me that the confidence that I could have in myself. And so then I almost became addicted to sport because of it. I wanted to feel that way. I wanted to feel good about myself um, and believe me, I would not it wasn't always the case as in, you know, you still have your roller coaster ride of emotions that you go through with sport. Um, but I started to understand when you, when something feels good, that you should try and do that more because we put ourselves in an environment so many times where we don't feel good about ourselves. But if you can find that one thing that does make you feel good, then you got to put so much more energy into that if you can.
0: It's, it's super interesting. Like I would imagine like as you were growing up, you saw yourself one way. And I reckon this would be a lot like I'm, for a lot of um, females and males and kids as well. You probably saw yourself one way is is in you know the tall kid, and as you say, you are trying to you know blend in and shrink in to to the crowd. Um, there was probably other kids that wanted to probably be your height and be that way. You're like we're we're polar opposites. <laughs> like so I'm so to, to explain that to the listeners. Are you projecting how you feel? <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not having a moment. I'm the guy at the front of the photographs. You're the girl at the back. Yeah. yeah exactly <laughs> so, right. So I'm wearing the stilts to the formal. And yeah. And um, but but what yeah. I'm getting at is um were you you would never been aware of that that, you know, there could have been other, you know, um you females that were feeling the appos- absolute opposite to you as well. Do you have, back then, can you remember having conversations with, you know, your friends and so forth? Was, was it easy back then to have conversations? I feel a little bit more, there's more, with the world the way it is now, and everything is so much open. And I have two daughters, so, you know, the conversation is, is, is I would feel, a lot more open when we when I was growing up with kids and, and, and families and parents. But did you feel that you were having them conversations with your friends that you were able to talk about this stuff? Did you just have them ambitions you shared? Did you have all that?
1: Definitely, I would never have spoken about to anybody um, that how I felt, but I don't even think I was able to articulate in myself how I really was feeling either. I, I don't think I realized it was because of my height um, that I was, you know, acting like that, had no confidence in myself, but, you know, i now do a lot of public speaking and that was my worst nightmare when I was at school was standing out in front of the crowd and I know a lot of people can relate to that um, but for me to stand out in front of the crowd and actually you know I would be so conscious about what people would think of me and how they would mock me or what I was wearing or you know all of that and I'm sure every kid male female whatever you you think like that you have those thoughts Um, but no, I never ever shared it. I never ever realised the power of being vulnerable and that's such a trendy thing now and we hear it all the time. Um, But yeah, I always thought you had to toughen it it out and I didn't really say anything. I didn't even really have a relationship with my um, family, whether it be my sisters or my mum and dad, where I would even be that honest either I just I was like oh yeah I'm okay yeah I'm okay and I just kind of brushed things off like that because it was easier than having sometimes a hard conversation around or or reaching out and asking for support you know I yeah I was never I never was like that in the ki- as a kid but I also think there's parts of being strong and being able to just work through things yourself that really did ultimately helped me once I started becoming an elite athlete and being a professional sports person because you need a lot of that you are quite you know you have to really be able to dig deep and compartmentalize things mentally and I think I certainly did that when I was a kid whether it's right or wrong there's certainly times where we shouldn't be doing that but um, yeah I think that's that's how I would cope with things anyway Um, and like I said when I was playing sport that's when I could almost have this big release around oh everything was okay in the world Um, because I was out there playing. Whether you won or lost, it didn't matter. It was the fact that I was out there and you would also be surrounded by other tall people because a lot of other tall people migrate into sport too. So, a lot of my good friends are all my height, if not taller, and I've created this kind of world around me where, you know, we're all have probably gone through the same thing as kids and now we talk about it, but we certainly didn't back then.
0: And if you think about... So, we talk about leadership, yeah, and, and you talk about, you know... Creating pathways and, and creating uh, you know foundations and platforms for young young women to you know to, to become leaders or just to become comfortable in who they are. Yeah, um, am I right in saying that? Would you have seen yourself as a leader because you've actually you know organically kind of grown into that? Was there a time where it switched for you? Whether it was when you were playing sports, whether it was at a young age, wherever, where you actually then stepped forward a bit more and went, you know, you noticed that hey, I've got this. I've got this natural kind of capability. Or oh, was it natural to that leadership, or did you think you kind of grow, you grew into it through your sports and so forth?
1: Well, I think the the first version of what I thought leadership was, I saw through sport because it's just a natural thing in a team, in a state team, or you know, in the Australian team where you have a captain and a vice captain, and automatically you think that's leadership because they've got the title. And the first few captains I had in junior state teams it was always the loudest person too on the team, the one that was always encouraging and shouting and playing and they could do everything. They weren't necessarily the best player, but often they were. And so my first version of leadership was, it's always the loudest person on the team that, um, you know, would be encouraging while I was also having to play the game. And then as I learned and as I started to um, get better at, being an athlete and you know kind of worked my way up the pathway in netball I started to see different versions of leadership some that made me feel good and that I felt empowered by other leaders who made me feel not so great and almost <laughs> you, you made you kind of shrink back into yourself and and didn't really encourage you or make you a better player um and so and then you know throughout netball you also had a lot of leadership training too so for me when I first made the Australian team, I was 18 and I went away to England and I just really distinctly remember, I in my Melbourne team, I had strong leaders who were really caring and kind and would still ask a lot of me and had high expectations, but they also had a way to support you to help you figure all of that out. Whereas when I first made the Australian team, I mean, so it should be a bit like this, but it was, you know, the best 12 players in Australia and I'm 18 years old in this team And I kind of made it on default in a way that I, one of the players who'd been in the team a long time, she was pregnant. So she had 12 months off. So they could have gone either way, take another experienced defender and give them a go or take this young kid with potential and see how they go. And so I was that young kid with potential again, had the height (laughs) and that was handy. And so when I went on my first tour with the Aussie team, it was really very much already set structure. Captain, was the best player on the court, dominated. Same with the leadership group. But these older players in the team didn't really see a lot of value in me or need me for a lot. So I was on the bench. I got maybe I think I played one quarter for my debut in three or four tests that we played over in England. And so I just felt like I was just a hanger on or in the team. Like you were just like this little fan of these amazing players. And, you know, they might say hello to you when you're at breakfast in the morning and that was about it. And I just didn't feel like this huge amount of support um, because they didn't know me either. But but it was gradually seeing the things that made me feel good and that I liked and the stuff that I didn't like that helped me understand what leadership actually was really about. It was for me now, I look at it and my leadership as an athlete and becoming a captain, becoming a vice captain in teams, I realised how important it was to treat the youngest player, the least experienced player in a team, exactly the same as you would treat the oldest player in the team and the most experienced and and how much more um, energy that gives a team environment when everyone feels welcomed, everyone feels like they have they're making a contribution and um, so yeah I think for me the leadership certainly changed around what I thought it was and it's not always the loudest person yelling encouragement out on the court at all if anything it's the one that leads by the way they play the game, the way they behave around the game, the way they act when they're out on court Um, and also, yeah, the way they support everybody around them that everyone has a chance to be successful. You don't have to have one person that's taking all the limelight and all the glory because the teams that I've been in that have won gold medals and won premierships, it's been everybody actually contributes and everybody gets some kind of accolades for what they've done rather than um, just one person taking it all.
0: So if you move it on then from all this amazing success, all this, you've been like, nearly marinated in leadership, good and some bad. Um, and you've then, you know, forged your career and you've, you know, you've done all these amazing things on, on on in sport. Where did, when sport, when netball finishes for you, where did, did you have any moments then where you, your leadership gets challenged again or you try and find yourself again? Because you had a, crazy kind of a shift in, in what you did afterwards. It was probably natural. If you look back in it now, you probably go, oh, yeah, media and so forth. But it didn't kind of, you know, start kind of that way. You, you you left sport, and I'd be interested to know, did you struggle at any time when you left sport? Did you lose your way in any way? Or did you fight, Did you think that you could still be a leader? Did you just have that go? No, I want to now move into this. I'm really, I know what I want to do, and I know I can bring all these attributes into that.
1: Well, I think to take it back to... Um As a female athlete, especially here in Australia, when I first started playing, you you didn't get paid a huge amount of money anyway. So there was always this thing hanging in the back of our heads where it was like you can't possibly earn a living out of being a female athlete so you have to go to uni you have to do other things on the side you have to have all these other side hustles and that's how i I learned to have a side hustle and now i have plenty but too many (laughs) probably too many at (laughs) times absolutely Um, but you had to be very entrepreneurial to make it work and a lot of good athletes um female athletes would have walked away from playing their sport because of it was just too hard to make it work and so I went to uni and got a teaching degree. So I always had this passion for educating and for working with young people. And so at first, I didn't really know what that was going to look like. And my, again, my older sister was a teacher, so I thought, oh, I'll do teaching. And I went and did my uni degree and it fitted in nicely. You know, I did PE, health science, and that all kind of works in nicely with being an athlete. Um, so I did that uh, in my early days of finishing school and then gradually, all my little side hustles away from being an athlete all became in this education space, and you know, leadership in a way. Um, with another player, Cheryl McMahon, we started our own leadership business where we got some government funding. We went into schools, and we just wanted to run workshops for young people, and we would run workshops about you know having some coping skills and and building resilience and. Um, and having you know a growth mindset or a positive mindset, like really simple things. But it was then using my teacher hat as well as my leadership hat, and kind of combining it in that way to earn an income outside of playing sport. So gradually, my uh, worlds collided in you know where I was using a lot of stuff that I had learnt from as an athlete and putting it into some form to f- uh, earn an income. Um, and then as I got to the end of my career, I was lucky to have been a full-time athlete. We were getting paid more to play the game. We were getting sponsorship as well, which obviously helps. And and it really – it showed again to me. So many people told me I couldn't make it as an athlete or earn an income. Um, and by the end of my career, I was doing both. And that's when I was like, great, tick. Like I can I, – challenge I guess how everyone saw what female athletes could do um, and I love a challenge uh, as you know um, yes. <laughs> I anything that people say I can't do I'm like right I'm going to show you which has been a good and a bad thing along my life so far um, so anyway I get to the end of my career I'm already working quite a lot in the leadership space I'm already uh, doing a lot in um, the media space in that you have to do that as an athlete. You you entrench yourself and I enjoyed it because I enjoyed that thrill of when you're live on air, you're either good or you're bad. And so again, a challenge, be good, otherwise they won't want you back on there. So I was like, okay, <laughs> so I've got to do that. Um but I 100% went through so many moments where I was questioning one when I should retire. My body was broken and I could have kept pushing purely cuz I'd created this nice little life for myself as an athlete. I could have probably got a few more years where I was getting that income and relying on that income and just, you know, cruising through but not being able to perform like I wanted to. Or do you bite the bullet, retire, and then throw yourself into this world and I think uh, another supportive angle that has come from it for me has been surrounding yourself with other athletes. You, you're all friends, whether they're AFL players, you know, whether they're cricketers, whether they're basketballers, male, female, you, you end up being surrounded by other athletes. And I'd watched other athletes retire before me and they had always been saying to me, "You've one, you've got more things up your sleeve than what us as AFL players or cricketers who are full-time have. So, that was a tick for any female athlete. We had other things to go to. My fallback was always I could be a teacher. And I taught for a couple of years part-time. It was never really my thing. I had too much else going on. I found it really hard in that structure. And so, but I think that has really given me that, that um, foundation is that whatever I've done, I'm happy to take the risk because I can fall back on the fact that I can go back into teaching. Whether, and I don't think I'll ever go back into teaching, but the fact that I've got the degree, I still pay my registration every single year because I always just need to make sure I've got that backup, Just in, in case it all falls cas- apart. Just in case it all falls apart. And there's been so many times <laughs> where I've gone, oh, okay, I might just go and do some CRT, which is casual relief teaching, just to earn a bit more money while I'm waiting for the next thing or I'm working on the next project. Or um, So I think that's been an important thing in my life to have that backing from a career point of view. And yeah, and I laugh at myself for even paying my registration every year because I never ever will use it. However, it's it gives me that safe spi- safe space. And I think we all need that safe space of something that we know we can go back to if we have to. But then it gives me that encouragement to go and take a risk. And sometimes a risk has been whether it's starting a business, doing a reality TV show, um, you know, anything that I've thought I've wanted to do. Even media roles that I've taken on, they haven't all worked or I haven't been good at them or I've, or I've struggled my way through and, of course, I haven't gone back to doing it again. Um, and when I first retired, what, what generally happens is you get all these opportunities thrown at you because people go, oh, now you're free, now you've actually got more time, we don't have to cope with juggling your athlete life. And I took on way too much because I was too scared that all the opportunities would go away. And then, of course, you get exhausted in that first year out Um, and so there was many moments where I'm like what do I want to actually do because I thought I could only do one or two things I didn't realize that I could continue to live the life that I did as an athlete you just sub out athlete life and you you know whether it's media whether it's leadership whether it's you know my life is being this entrepreneurial kind of freelance life I love the risk of doing that and I'm okay if I fail Um, and that That failing has come in, you know, from – I was dropped from the Australian team for a few years and had to get my way back. Um, Failing has been, you know, starting up projects that don't get off the ground that I've had to, you know, you tell people about it and you're pumping it up like it's going to be the best thing ever. And uh, one leadership project I have in my head that this happened – and then all of a sudden, it doesn't get off the ground and everyone's asking you about it and you've got this embarrassment of like, oh yeah, it didn't work or no one wanted it or no one bought it or no one, you know, booked me in to do that workshop. Um, but yeah, I've been in a place where the failing part, as long as I have the, my coping skills of being able to be down and out and sit on the couch and be okay with that, I'll find the energy. Whether it's in a week's time, two weeks time, sometimes a month's time, to then pick myself back up and get keep going again, um, and yeah, that solid backing of just go back to teaching, and I don't want to talk down teachers either because they play a very valuable role. But it was just never what I thought I could do full time. So, but yeah, I've um, so yes, it's definitely been always rocky road for me. Um, but on the outside people would never see that because they just see all the highlights real the stuff that I put on Instagram the stuff that I probably get media coverage for doing um but it's yeah never you know never exactly how it looks and
0: yeah mm. and I think that's an interesting like, I've known you for a while and and I met you not as um, an netball player not as a reality show um, (laughs) and contestant not as a media person so um i felt kind of lucky i got to know you a a different way um for that point but i'm really interested in you talk about like female athletes you know skilled you know hours of dedication and work and training to get to the elite part of the of the sport to become really good at something which you know takes so much time and dedication And I have to actually think that you might have to walk away from that or even have a side hustle because you cannot get, you know, um, pay equivalent maybe of other sports. And as we know, in some sports with male and female, it's obviously a a massive gap in that as well. How do you think, like, because I'm getting the sense that kind of like your generation of sports females have changed that. It's, it's that generation that have come through in all in all sports that have lifted that and and have changed. As you said, you were able then to play as a professional athlete um, and be paid, you know. Um, and I'm sure now, since you and you're probably looking at me you know, going to get paid a lot more now than <laughs> they did. What I was, you know. But I'm, but, you know, you know that's gone on in probably more levels as well. So where do you where do you think that you know the support needs to go into the to, to the new generation of young people? And um, do you think they have a, a, a m- they obviously have a much better chance at that but with that is you think there's more pressure as well
1: um yeah probably not more pressure i think the tricky part and i spent a bit of time with our players association which is our kind of union as athletes as netballers and again i watched all the older players in front of me they would fight for our conditions to get better conditions to get all of our medical expenses paid for you know i remember they used to fight for, it was like, we all have to agree that, you know, they have to pay for our meals when we go on the road, like when we're traveling interstate or overseas, they have to pay for all our meals for us. Like simple little things that you would think naturally, if you're playing for Australia, that that would be covered for you. But back in the early days, it wasn't. So I watched all the older players in front of me fight for those little things. So by the time that I had become part of the team, you you, you got those conditions, you know, you got better conditions. And so I always thought it was my job and a lot of other players feel like this too it's you know you we get so much out of our sport you want to give back like you want to make sure that you leave the we, we say leave your kind of Australian dress in better condition than what you found it and or your position on the team so then I became really passionate about okay what can my difference be what can I change and so yes, we've changed it and we've fought a lot more for more money and for the youngest players to get at least a minimum wage that allows them to be able to be professional athletes, still have other things on the side, but all the money's not going into the best players um, and that there are some ways to make it fair and equal. Uh, but now I think the, the tricky part is the athletes that are playing the game, especially whether it be, you know, it's probably focus on netball because AFLW is not quite there yet, but is making sure they have time to do other things so they have time because we feel, all the girls that played through my generation, we feel so grateful that we had other things. We have uni degrees. We we had other opportunities to do work experience or to walk away from the game with a much more holistic view of the world than just being an athlete. So now that the conditions are changing, the money is changing in the game and their time commitments, there's so many more time commitments for them, they're fighting to make sure that during a weekday that they have time off so that they can go to uni if they need to. So that's where I think it's it's almost gone. We're kind of gradually getting to that tipping point now where if they don't have time during a week to do other things, then they will be entrenched in this institution of being a professional athlete and not have other things. And the other things are what help you cope. The other things that you build around your life that you have to do because you have no choice – when you get to that retirement age, you can fall back on all of that because you have so much more experience than just being an athlete. And, and I was an athlete who was fortunate to have a long career. I played for 17 years uh, at the top level. But, um, you know, if you are an athlete now and you're playing, um, you might be injured, you know, after three years and that's your career. So, you can't ever think it's always going to be a long one. Um, And if it's only three years, you want to make sure that you've got other things to fall back on. If you've put all, you know, your energy into that athlete life, you've got to be able to fall back on something. So, um, but again, it was the older players that showed me. That's, I just watched them the ones that I thought were great leaders, I watched them and followed them and annoyed them and, <laughs> and basically picked their brains as much as I could. And then I thought, okay, well, they've showed me how to do it. Now I've got to do it in my own way.
0: What were the support mechanisms back when you were playing in regards to you as a person, meaning sports, psychologists, meaning all that, was that, um, did that exist? Was it was it existing but not where it is today? Um, because I think that nowadays is very extremely important in not just, you said, you know, your body, Mm. you know, broke down in the end, but I'm sure there's a lot of players where where the mind um, and the belief, and as we spoke about, that can also take an even bigger hit.
1: Yes. We had team psychologists, but I think I was still of the mindset that if I – reached out to a team psychologist because I was struggling, that that would then go against me in terms of team selection. Because the team psychologists were always very much a part of the team. They would work on things as a team. And you would always, and that, that could have just been me, but that was very much how it used to be. You used to think that if you reached out, you'd, you wouldn't hesitate to go to the doctor or the physio for a physical injury. But if you felt like if you had to reach out, if you're mentally struggling, that an athlete has to be really tough and be able to just push through that stuff. Whereas now you're right, it's so different. It's, that is such an important part. And there's, you know, I think coaches have really had to show that it's a confidentiality thing. If you go to see the team psychologist, that there's no way that what you're discussing is going to come up in team selection. And that's exactly how it should be. And that might've been just the lens that I was seeing it as when I was an athlete. And that's why I didn't do it. Um, but I think we also relied very much on the good coaches that I had were very good people, people, if that makes sense, people, person. <laughs> so they, they were very much around caring for your life just as much as they cared for you as an athlete. Not all coaches were, but I had some really good coaches and mentors who made sure that I were, was okay in other parts of my world um, than just what they were kind of looking at me in um so but I still I did go and see a team psych a few times and I did go and outsource a few times because that's what made me feel confident that I could go and do that and not you know it it have any ramifications um and yeah I, I what taught me the most about my coping skills I think and how I was able to channel that and use that in the future once I'd finished playing sport um, was the ability to be able to actually just talk about it. And, I mean, it seems so simple, but actually being able to talk about it, not necessarily with people within your team environment, but outside and be able to have all these people who were your rock solids outside that you could go to and go, this is happening or this is happening and not be embarrassed or not be feel um, shame that you were going to seek help or that you needed to debrief about something. Um, but having those key mentors and role models and support people in your life, I think we all need, no matter what's happening in our worlds. Now I've got them. I used to have them. They've changed and evolved as I've grown as a person, Um, but any young person who is listening and any older person who is listening, if you can't think of three or four people that are your go-to people in not necessarily always the bad times, sometimes the good times, when something great happens and you want to say, hey, I'm so proud. Look what I've just done we shouldn't be embarrassing doing that either because we've got to pump ourselves up as well.
0: Yeah, no, well said. And I think sometimes it's a little bit more of, you know, that it, it's so interesting to hear you speak about like, it makes perfect sense like that you weren't going to go to the sports psychologists of the team because you could, you know, your place could be in check because you're thinking they're talking to the coach. Coach going to say that, um, which in some ways has still sticks around with stigma of mental health and, you know, people talking to people and, and so forth as well. But I think it's kind of now been a, re, a reframe. Um, and I think in sport, it's 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 this is going to make you, like this is to help you make you stronger as a player and everything else. It's not, you know, um, going to harm you. It's not going to go against you. And just reframing it as it's part of an, atle- um, an, a- an athletic mind. Yes. Yes, that you, that we're going to work on your mind and your body and so forth as well. But I also think it is, I also think that things will be set up now a lot more to actually take that outside of the club. Yeah. As you say. Because it is important that you have that, you know, trust the confidentiality and you know, and you can actually open up a little bit more on that as well. So I find that really I find that really interesting. Um, that you make that that you made that point. So let's talk about some of the stuff that you do. Yeah, because, you know, Bianca Chatfield is known for many things <laughs> um, and I'm sure you may known for a lot of this as well. But I'm sure some of our listeners m- might know to the degree of what you do in the leadership space, how you do um, support young um, young girls and young females, um, you know, as they're going through, you know, whether sport, Jeanette Ball Academy or just in life as well. So i would be really interested I think the listeners would be really interested to hear a little bit about some of that work that you do outside of what they know from you in the media and your and sporting background?
1: Yeah, the actual, the real stuff. The real stuff. The real stuff. Well, I mean, I do a lot of just, I mean, firstly, I do a lot of public speaking around leadership, high performance. And it used to be around high performance behaviors and mindset and how to like think like an athlete and so be able to push yourself further. And then I had a real moment of feeling very um, confused and conflicted by some of that advice that you would talk about because – when I was an athlete, and what how what happens with you mentally to be able to push yourself, you become very selfish and you are very blinded by everything else that's going on in the world because you have one focus and you need to get there. And to do that, you have to be selfish. You have to everything has to be about how much sleep you get, how much <laughs> what food you're eating, when you can do things, and everyone else in your life, family, friends, partners. They all have to just deal with the fact that you're the number one because you've got to have everything a certain way. So athlete life is very selfish and team sport isn't probably as much as what individual athletes are. And we're all happy to own that. And so when you then go back into the real world, you realize that people aren't as seriously focused or you know pushing everything out of the way to make one thing happen in their life like we, we have been. So, when I would talk about high-performance behaviours, I'd go into a business and I guess the general gist is taking all of those learnings from an athlete and being able to to teach and um, just show everyday people in the workforce, whether it's at school, wherever, that they can add some of these things into their world to help them and to push them further and to help them achieve their goals. But then when when you strip it right back, you're like, hang on a minute, that's quite confusing because they're not They're not as obsessed or as addicted to that goal as what we are as athletes. So I've really had to challenge myself into kind of stripping it back and actually being relatable. And um, I think a lot of athletes go out and talk and people who achieve great things, but they're not necessarily relatable to the everyday person. So when uh, what I do now is, yes, I do public speaking, but I try and be as real as I can be around not necessarily how you can push yourself, you know, the furthest to get to what you want it's about how you can actually have things in your life to manage yourself better to be able to wake up in the morning how can you start your day in a good way how can you start your day to be somewhat more of a positive way so that by the end of the day you're in a much better way than probably what you were yesterday or how can you take one thing yesterday that you need to do and just make sure you do that not try and achieve a hundred things just one simple little thing can actually make a big difference That's what I learned from athlete life that actually helps me a lot. So I do public speaking. Um, I have um, had two different business partners in leadership businesses and, and they've been people who have been stronger than me, better business people than me that I've again, learned a lot of. That's where we wrote the book, Every Girl Needs a Plan. And it was just about, Having a game plan, very sport analogies, but you know, having a game plan, having a think about what you might want to do, and not be ashamed to say what you want to do, um, and allow people to know that, and then put some steps in place that might help you get there. Um, and then the Ignition Project was a leadership program um, that I started with Lee Russell, and the two of us together uh, wanted to go online. I love my tech space and so we wanted to go online and offer a course online that people could sign up to do and that was very much focused at women to start with and and then now very much focused at young girls Um, and that's all online for all access Um, and then we add like a mentor role to that too Um, and then that's verged into working with young athletes uh, and partnering with different organizations like Rebel Sport. Um, So, we do that and then with Victoria University, I started up a netball specific academy but that's the netball side but I do a lot of leadership work with those young girls as well. So, that's 100 young girls that we have a year that are on like a scholarship and yes, they're interested in netball and they want to do well um, at the game but they also do a lot of work around whether it's their nutrition, whether it's their mental health, whether it's just their physical health, but we make sure that again, we cover off everything. It's not just focused on sport. Um, and I'm even looking at you like, what else do I do that I haven't even mentioned yet?
0: What secret are you cause, holding cause on to it
1: seems like so much. Yeah. And I confuse a lot of people. Like you I have said to you many times, I'm doing all these different things, yet in my head it makes a lot of sense. And in my head I can cope with it and it doesn't overwhelm me. But when people like, listen to all the stuff, they're like, oh, well, that's way too much. It's just, you know, it's <laughs> exhausting to hear. But I think what I like to tell people is that it, it's moments in time. Like they're projects that I work on in you know, individually at different times. It doesn't consume my entire year. And so it's kind of like my year's made up of 20 different small projects um, and that's how I get my head around having such a crazy freelance lifestyle, which is all very different now because now I'm a mum as well. So. Yeah,
0: well, you've taken on the, the the ultimate leadership role, haven't you? So I, um, Exactly. Do you look at things a little bit differently already? Like, is it already like you, you think about that? Like, do you, because I know as a parent, I, you know, people say, you, you look at the world we live in, you look at everything else and you go, God, you know, it's it, it's, I know from growing up, it was tough, but. Was it? I mm. kind of look at it and go. It was tough, but there's was way of getting through it. You know yeah. what I mean? And I look at now, just there was so less distractions, and so I reckon there was so less uh, opportunities to be um, sought out. Yeah, yeah. You couldn't hide. You talked about hiding. You can't hide these days. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just it's it's a world of just everything is out in the open, like and that's good, and it's also bad. How do how do you see now as a parent through like you know? Um, do you you worry about this stuff? Do you think about this? Has it changed a little bit about how you see things?
1: Well, even just how, what I was talking about before, about, you know, when I used to have my athlete hat on and go on out and talk to people in business and, you know, tell them, you know, you can just do these little things in your life and that will help. And now being a mum and understanding how many mums I must have spoken to over the years around, oh, you can just add this into your life or this will make you feel good. And now I go, oh, oh, I get it now. Like, my daughter is 13 weeks. So I'm 13 weeks into being a mum, And that now overwhelms me that you just don't have time. Like you just have to cope however you possibly can to just get through the day. You can't be setting unrealistic goals. You can't be going out there and you know, you don't have time for yourself a lot of the time. And, you know, I don't even know what it's like when they're one, two, three, four, five, six. I mean, I'm sure you can enlighten me.
0: (laughs) I'm only, I know I look uh, 46, I'm only 20.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And And I, the other thing that now I have a daughter is I really feel that pressure around what you say, not now as she's so little, but as she's growing up, you know, how you talk about, how you talk about how you look and how you talk about, um, you know, what what weight you might be or things that, you know, you don't want to project onto them because we're in this world where, you know, look what social media has done. There's so much good in social media, but there's so much bad in, in what it encourages people to need to look like, how they need to come across what they need to do and yeah especially now having a daughter i think wow like there's so much of that challenge and and things i have to be far more conscious of than i've ever been before um but also just enjoying life where you're not the number one priority in the world is um oh, yeah. it's quite refreshing at the moment because i have lived a life where i've been able to do what i want when i want and i've lived amazing life so far and now I think oh okay now time for you to step back and it's about somebody else and um that excites me at the moment I'm sure at some stage I'm like okay back to me back to me (laughs) but but at the moment I'm quite enjoying she's taught me a lot already just in how to manage my my world but also what's a priority like what actually is a, a priority that's worth leaving home for Um, And in the past, I've said yes to so many things. And the hardest thing has been learning to say no. And now I have no choice but to say no to a lot of things, um, whether that's work-wise or social-wise. And yeah, it's actually been a real blessing at the moment because I think, you know what, if I weigh out, I put more thought into what I say yes to rather than just saying yes to everything and figuring it all out later.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Well, kids will do that. And yeah, (laughs) you know, you continue to, that learning never stops. Um, the learning turns from learning to being lectured um, <laughs> so, uh, but yeah I think it's it's, it's it's the ultimate leadership role that everyone takes and you know and and leadership can be good and bad and, and, yeah. and it, but it's also that is life and, you and know. being
1: in the moment you, you have to be in the moment a lot of the time when you are an athlete. And then we often forget about that. We get caught up in the fog of everything that's going on and we forget about being right here in this moment right now. What do I need? What can I control? And, yeah, that's definitely now you're in the moment because it's her moment and what she needs and that's what I have to be able to be flexible around and and likewise when I've got to learn how to cope in whatever moment, whether it's enjoying it or whether it's struggling with whatever's happening, you've just got to be in the moment and, um, yeah, I I think that's a massive learning for all of us
0: what do you think is important steps going forward what do you see as what we everyone should be doing um to support um you know the next generation of young females coming through potentially your daughter being will now be one <laughs> of them um, in many years to come yeah but what do you think are the really important steps to be done because it's probably and what what's good that's been done but what do you think we can do a bit more of maybe better way of putting it
1: well, I th- well, from my perspective, um, and it doesn't matter whether it's us looking onto the, the generation below or two generations ahead of us looking at us, I it comes down to simply just listening and listening to what who they are, what they need, how they operate in the world and not projecting on how we do things to them because that might not work in their generation and how their world operates. So, that's why I love what I do and the work that I do with young people because I learn so much from them about how they how they, how they they need to feel and how they want to feel because that was very different to how I wanted to feel when I was younger. And they're, they're open, much more open than I was to talk about their feelings. They're much more open to be able to tell you if they're having a really bad day. And a lot of the time we look at that and we don't know how to deal with that. We don't know how to deal with a young person, male or female, saying... I'm, I'm really struggling. I'm not coping at all. I don't know what to do. And a lot of the time as adults, we look down at them and go, oh, no, everything will be okay. Just be positive. You'll be fine. And I think that's where we all have to really stop and think, no, we've got to actually listen and, and, let, and be in this space with them that it's okay to not feel okay. But then how can we then just help support them, ask them what they need for support? We can't tell them what they think they need. They need to tell us and then we offer that support at where we can. So listening is the most crucial thing for all of us, no matter what generation or whoever we're talking to. I think we really actually need to listen to each other rather than just think we have to fix the problem for everybody.
0: And are you going to just design and, um, you know, um, start a couple more leadership programs? Yeah.
1: Well, I'm, uh, again, trying to learn to say no to a lot of things, but I'm just a lot, channeling a lot of my energy into more specific projects. So definitely with my academy, I'll continue to do that. Um, and I do – still do a few um, public speaking, but the media's got all my attention at the moment with the commentary and Fox Sports. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm so open to wherever life takes me, which – Again, I love that adrenaline rush. I don't know if it's a good thing or not, but uh, yes, I'm also learning not to be as competitive. Life, athlete life, I've left that behind me. I was so super competitive. And now I just have this much more calmer interior where I don't have to always be the best or, you know, tell people that if they say I can't do something and I'll i show you, I've really started to lose that ability. And I actually am very grateful that I don't have that anymore.
0: Always learning. Hey,
1: always learning forever, learning, always listening. That's what we've got to be doing.
0: Yeah. Well, it's been it's been a a pleasure talking to you today and thank you for taking um an hour or so of your time (laughs) of your busy time to actually allow me uh to come and do a podcast with you which has been um which has been been long overdue um but i'm very grateful and um i couldn't think of a better force guest to have this and kick it off um and you know and the work you're doing is great it's incredible like that you know you've been doing this for a while and I just think that this is what this podcast is about is shining a light on causes on topics and so forth and just starting conversations and I think listening to you today talk about that I think a lot of people will will um will learn something new but um but it's also um like very thankful that you just people like you doing this you know and actually seeing that it's something that is really really important as well so
1: and I often get myself into a bit of a you know, I think, oh, it's got to be a more structured thing than I do. It's got to be, you know, I know a lot of people um, channel all their efforts into one area. Um, but I've actually then been, you know, you take it back and you think, no, it's okay to have a little stepping stones. So I don't know what it's going to look like in the future, um, but I just know that, again, it's a place that makes me feel, I feel very passionate about. So I'm just going to keep channeling as much of my energy as I can. And sometimes that will be small amounts. Sometimes that will be a lot, but um, I think that you've just got to be okay with whatever area. As long as you know it's your passion, and you feel good about it. You've got to keep doing it.
0: Yeah. Well, I look forward to um, all the, the times that you say, I'm saying no, and any time you're saying yes. And then I'm
1: like, oh, by the way, I'm doing this on uh, the phone. No, hang i want on, like, to know. Um, yeah,
0: okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, Part of this podcast that I spoke about at the start is that we're trying to create, um, you know, a link from one person to the other. You being number one um, all the way through to, to the audacious reach of uh, Barack Obama. <laughs> Even when it say that, it, sounds mad. So, <laughs> but the idea for everyone listening is that um, to make that happen, it's really important that I need every guest to then nominate, speak to. Um, tell them that i'm actually okay you should talk to them um, and be part of that podcast and it's someone that will have obviously a cause that you would know in is connected to a charity foundation someone that you feel that we would be able to sit down and have a good conversation about and shine a light on something that's really important for them but also for listeners and and society and communities in general so this is where i put you on the spot so have you got someone that you think you can uh, you can link me into that would be uh, you think would be okay to come on the podcast
1: well, Mick, I don't know if you know this, but I actually know Barack, so ah, we can go straight there if you straight want. Straight there. <laughs> no. Do you know, do you know
0: what my you know wife said? What happens if you get to him? <laughs> That's too – because I was talking to someone like, they like, go, oh, there's a connection in. They're like, but then that, that would ruin your episode. I said, do you hear what you're saying? <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you know how, how crazy that sounds? like, well, don't get to him too quick. We could be here forever.
1: One of the organi- – so on a more serious note, one of the organisations that I um, – I'm an ambassador for um, is Gotcha for Life, which is about encouraging conversations and mental fitness and and helping that mental side um, for everybody to understand how important it is to have conversations when you're not feeling great. Um, and is Gus Walland, and he started up Gotcha for Life, and it used to be channeled at just men, and now it is for everybody. And so I came on board as an ambassador for them a couple of years ago. Um, But Gussie is one person always wears his heart on his sleeve. He is never, ever struggles. He's worked in the media as well and still works in the media and commentary side for cricket and on Triple M. Um, But his true core soul passion is gotcha for life and... I don't know how he can connect you on further, but I think he's just a very important person to, to talk to about his cause um, and he'll enlighten in all the different ways he's passionate about it. But um, I look at what he does and I just am in complete admiration for how he goes about it and how when you have a conversation with him, I've only known him for a few years, but whenever you have a conversation with him, everything is to the side it's a complete one-on-one he is so entrenched in making sure you're okay that you're feeling okay that you're being listened to and I don't know there's not many people that you connect with that you actually feel like they're really listening to you and checking in on you and yeah Gussie does that not just for me for probably hundreds of different people but his cause is something that I'll always support because of just how incredibly passionate he is so I'm going to say it now. I'm going to get you Gussie Walland, as your next guest. I don't know when that's going to happen, Mick, but I'm going to now be on him that he's got to join you on this podcast and help you on your way.
0: I appreciate that. And I think that just to, to reinforce, like, you know, the vision is this audacious goal, but the success and what I really want to achieve is along the way is to be able to have these really great conversations and to share them and actually if they can reach some people that are listening and go hey that makes me feel good or that makes me reach out and talk to someone or that has a positive impact then it's it's done its job yeah yeah so if this takes 10 years 20 years whatever i think there'll be a lot of amazing conversations oh. that we will have in that time and so be it because that will be the, that will be to me the ultimate success of what we could do here. Well, yeah.
1: I hope one day you also share your cause and what you do.
0: Someday we'll we'll we'll, we'll <laughs> wait for that time. Maybe <laughs> when I get no more guests <laughs> and, and I just keep like, okay, talking it's about myself, me, it's me, <laughs> it's no, me but again. <laughs> I
1: think that's also something that you have been. Um, Showed me just how much energy and effort you put into your cause, and I'm not going to spoil that for people. Yeah. They can listen to your episode that you do. Maybe I can interview you one day. Yeah, for well, that. there we go. Yeah, I'll just see. Look, I've got myself another job. <laughs> you said you were saying no, you just pitch yourself straight into the podcast. You're hired. But one day we need to listen to you too, Mick.
0: Yeah, no, nah, thanks so much, Bianca. Um, um thank you again for being a number one guest and uh, i look forward to continuing to have um many conversations with you and sharing many things that we both do in our careers and life and uh, and congratulations again on you know being a, a mom and i wish you all luck at that one <laughs> let me tell oh, you no 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 you'd be great
1: and i look forward to listening to you and gussie soon
0: all right thanks again if you enjoyed listening to this podcast Please subscribe and share. If you want to follow me on Instagram or on Twitter, you will see the handles in the show notes. This podcast was produced and edited by Mick Cronin.